One of the greatest textual controversies when it comes to holiday scriptures has to be the matter of one infamous reindeer named Rudolph. See, in one telling of the story, a previously outcast reindeer named Rudolph is a great hero for the exact reason that he had been previously scorned. Rudolph is grateful to finally have a use for the part of him that up until then had been a source of pain and to help save Christmas. This is a happy story of redemption and a community working together for the common good. But in another telling, the story goes, a bunch of bullies have been excluding one reindeer just because he was different, and their boss, Santa, condones this behavior at least until he needs Rudolph to save his job, aka Christmas. In this version, we are told your worth and dignity are not a given, but rather they need to be earned through a selfless act that helps your abusers love you. It's the same story. It's just a matter of how you tell it. How we tell a story, more than the particular facts, always shapes the meaning that we make from it, especially those stories that we tell over and over again in community and across generations, like the stories that we tell around the holidays. The way that we tell about Rudolph and Santa, or that we tell about the baby named Jesus, or the miracle that we tell about that was given to the Hebrew people. These stories shape how we come to understand ourselves and life itself. It's a special kind of magic in the holidays, especially because you don't even really realize that it's happening. We forget to notice how, how, that how we tell these traditional stories holds the power to create or withhold liberation. How we tell the stories holds the power to empower others or marginalize, maintain or shift the status quo, inspire hope or inspire fear. Now we more often talk about this power of how we tell stories in terms of our personal stories. This is the whole basis of narrative therapy that how we tell our life stories directly shapes how we understand ourselves, how we act in our lives with huge implications for our mental health and well-being. One of my mentors used to respond to stories that I'd share from my past with a simple question, what's another way to tell that story? Or just as powerfully, she'd ask me, What's the story that you want to live from? Studies have shown that people who tell more positive stories about themselves as they look back on their past with elements of redemption, for example, those that say that time you lost your job but ended up switching to a job you liked more, tend to enjoy the greater, a greater well-being overall. And on the other hand, people who tell stories about their life that focus on good things that turned bad, for example, they might say that great job was lost and nothing was ever the same after that, they report a lesser level of well-being overall. Both versions of the story are true, just 
told in different ways. What's especially magical in this shifting is that how we tell our stories about the past often results in the future actually going better. The rabbis of the first few centuries of the common era, the community that produced the texts of today's Judaism, they understood precisely the magic held in how we tell a story and not just for individuals, but for whole communities. It's why when they told the story of Hanukkah, they knew that that violent revolt of the Maccabees was not, could ever, could never be the miracle, especially for a people who lived as a minority and in diaspora, despite this being a very important part of the magic of this tale from their history, to focus on the violence would not be life-giving, life saving magic in the long run. It would instead feel always both out of reach and life destroying, literally. It wasn't who they were. And so the rabbis recast the story by imagining quite reasonably that the people in returning to the temple after their victory would need a rite of rededication and so over time, this rededication became a story of lighting the ritual lamp. And despite not having enough oil, somehow that light never going out. The magic in their telling is in the people's faithfulness, in community, and in abundance. Telling it this way reminds us that when we act with a steadfast hope and in community, there is always enough. Of course, over time, how people have told that story of Hanukkah has continued to shift, and especially in this year. Rabbi Ari Sachs told NPR that this year, we need to remember that the return to the temple was not actually the end of the story, but the middle of a much longer arc of struggle. The story of Hanukkah, he says, is a story of celebrating victory in the middle of a much longer battle. He says it reminds us, the story reminds us this year, that in the midst of this battle of this against this terrible pandemic, we must find still some element of victory, something to hold on to, to give us hope for the future. I wonder when we tell later the story of the times we are living in now, I wonder how we will tell this story. Like the job that was lost, we might say everything was great. And then in March, the worst happened and things were never the same. Or we might say the worst happened, which in turn led us on a path of growth resilience, gratitude, abundance, learning, generosity, community, or whatever word you might choose. Both versions of this story would be true. And to be clear, that latter version should not be used to diminish the pain of the former or lead us to superficial abusive theology like everything happens for a reason. 
but rather that both are true just simply means that we get to ask ourselves, which story do we want to live from? especially over the holiday season when we tend to repeat and remember stories in exactly the ways that we've learned and heard them and told them for all of our lives. Remembering this magic of choosing how we tell the story empowers us to look for new ways to tell old stories, ways that might, might shake loose the small victories that we need, knowing that this struggle is not over yet. As one example, around this time of year, we tend to talk about the goodness of light, the celebration of light returning, especially as we near the winter solstice next week. We often tell the story of the solstice as a celebration of light and thus a repudiation of the dark. But telling it this way just contributes to a cultural perception of darkness as negative and scary and something to get away from. An understanding that perpetuates racism and white supremacy. So instead, simply by telling the story another way, we can recast darkness as shelter, relief, and as a much needed signal of a time to rest, reflect and remember. Winter solstice then marks not just the lengthening of light, but also the night that holds the greatest power of this welcome dark. We need both darkness and light. This way of telling the story not only liberates us from a message of anti-blackness, but also invites us to remember the gifts of this time that we are living in now all the seeds that are growing unseen in the magical dark of the fertile earth. <laughs>